Podcast. I'm Ashley Nickel with the Packer and PMG, and we have with us today Shandor Naj, Group Vice President of Supply Chain for Driscoll's. Shandor, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Ashley. It's good to be with you. Absolutely. Now, of course, Driscoll's just announced some big news joining the new plastic economy global commitment to reduce the environmental impact of plastic. And we'll start with the broad strokes question here. I know that, you know, reducing the impact of plastic is something that Driscoll's has been working on for a while already, you know, much like many other companies in the produce industry. Why was it important for you guys to make this this big kind of external commitment along with everything you already had going on internally? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, You know, we are are always uh, looking for ways to be better uh, stewards of the environment and better uh, partners uh, in the communities uh, where we uh, work and operate and live. And uh, we're living in a world of, of finite resources. And, and we have uh, efforts focused on uh, resources like labor. Uh, we have efforts uh, focused on scarce resources like water um, and, and the ground and soil that we farm on. And plastics uh, was kind of the next natural uh, area of focus for us. And we had been thinking for a long time and looking at a number of opportunities uh, in terms of organizations to align ourselves with. And we really viewed it as an opportunity to uh, to be a part of a broader community effort around uh, plastics and the impact of plastics on the environment, but also to stretch ourselves and hold ourselves to, uh, to a higher standard and hold ourselves accountable. And so we had been looking at and evaluating a number of organizations and we're very pleased to have aligned with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Gotcha. And as I was reading through the the news release that kind of detailed some of the uh, some of the big buckets, you know, that, that this commitment falls into, um, it lists everything from you know looking at ways to use less plastic in general, transitioning from single use to reuse model, you know, where applicable, making packaging recyclable, reusable, or compostable, and then increasing the amount of recycled content in you know new packaging. And one of the things that the release also mentioned was the first step is kind of a sweeping review of everything going in and everything coming out and, and what fits into those different areas. And so I wanted to ask you just that process alone sounds like a huge undertaking. Um, you know, how, how does that work? What all does that entail and, and how long does just that step take? So we have been uh, working for uh, the last uh, 12 to 18 months to dimensionalize uh, our consumption of plastic. And and so we have brought on some folks internally who have expertise in this area. And we've also used some outside resources to help us quantify and classify the different uh, types of plastic that we're using. And so we're well on our way to understanding the, the, the scope and scale of the challenge. And we have some, uh, some broad 
um, ideas about how we can make a real positive difference in this area. And so right now, uh, we've done kind of the initial diagnostic work and, and we are, we're starting down the path of, of the various things that we outlined uh, in the release that you just mentioned. And, and it starts with trying to reduce the amount of plastic that is in our clamshell. And even though this clamshell has been around for 30 plus years, we're still finding ways to value engineer the clamshell so that for every kilogram of fruit that we ship to our consumers, we find a way to do it with less and less plastic. So it starts with uh, even, even the most basic ways to reduce plastic in our clamshell. And then we move to more advanced or more sophisticated approaches to actually replace plastic where possible. Uh, and then also to enhance the recyclability of, of, of the plastic itself. So, you know, we've been at this for a, a little time and, and, uh, and now we're, we're, we're uh, taking more of an outward step to, to communicate what we're doing. And I know that a lot of times in the industry as a whole, when we talk about, you know, more sustainable packaging, uh, cost is, is often a challenge that is mentioned. Um, what are going to be some of the biggest investments for you guys along this, this journey over the next five years or so? Cost is an important factor, and it's not just a, a, a consideration for Driscoll's. It's also a, a consideration for the entire value stream of recycling. We, we know that municipalities and counties and states need to invest in new types of technology to sort and separate plastic uh, from all the other waste streams. And, and that requires a pretty significant investment. The good news is the technologies for those kinds of sortation of, of, of waste streams is becoming uh, more and more accessible and more common. And, and uh, those investments are being made by municipalities. Uh, on, on our side, we have to invest in ways to make the plastic more friendly to recycling. So for example, we are replacing the paper top label on our clamshell with a plastic top label. And why are we doing that? Um, we're doing that so that the top label separates more easily from the clamshell. And we led an industry uh, coalition and, and partnered with, with the entire industry, berry industry, to commit to achieving um, a, a plastic label on all clamshells so that they can separate more easily and be, be recycled. Now, those plastic top labels uh, cost more. Uh, when we first started working on this a year ago, it was 70% more expensive to, to apply a plastic label with our branding than our uh, traditional paper label. We've now gotten that down to less than 10% cost differential. So, so yes, some of these things uh, require some incremental cost, but we're confident that we can drive lower costs. And we're also optimistic that consumers 
will be looking for this. And we've done some very early preliminary studies with consumers that in some cases, consumers are willing to pay more if the packaging is more friendly to recycling and more uh, sustainable. Well, and you segued perfectly into my, my next question, which was when we talk about costs and, you know, retailer consumer willingness to, to pay more, uh, I was curious kind of what, how much of that cost do you think will be helped out with, with higher prices and people, you know, can identify that, that the packaging is, is more easily recycled or more sustainable in different ways and say, yes, I'm, I'm willing to pay that extra 10%. You know, how, how do you see kind of that cost breakdown um, flowing in, in the future? You know, that is a question that many people would love to, to have the answer to. <laughs> and I would say we are still in a discovery mode uh, on that front. Where we will be starting is our uh, premium uh, offering, um, uh, which is, uh, goes under the label of sweetest batch and our organic offering. And in those areas, we're beginning to explore alternatives to plastic that in some cases do cost more. So whether it's solid board, corrugated material, molded fiber, these plastic alternatives cost more However, in those product segments, organic and, and super premium, the consumer is generally less cost sensitive. And so they're um, uh, coming uh, uh, to us uh, for uh, not only the best eating and tasting and highest flavor berries, but also uh, they're coming uh, after these offerings because uh, we're doing the right thing as well in terms of how we're bringing the products to market. So we're finding that those segments um, are less cost sensitive. Mm -hmm. And I was curious too, um, the, the release mentioned obviously the, the U.S. market, but also other markets around the world and in Europe in particular, I think is generally maybe a, a little bit ahead in terms of consumer and retailer demand for some of these things what are some of the differences that you see there, whether in um, like uh, acceptance of packages other than the traditional claim shell, where maybe the visibility isn't quite the same, but it's, you know, more clearly a more sustainable package um, and then willingness to pay as well. So in, in Europe, I think the most important thing to point out when talking about, about um, the move away from plastics in Europe is that in Europe, the regulatory pressure is very high, much higher than it is here in the US currently. And so in, in Europe, you have these frameworks, uh, which are often referred to as um, extended producer responsibility or EPR. And these are uh, legislative requirements force uh, uh, producers and manufacturers of all products, uh, not just fresh produce, uh, but it can be consumer goods, uh, to, uh, to really think about uh, the closed loop uh, system for the packaging material. And in Europe, there are uh, taxes or financial uh, incentives to 
to uh, to move away from uh, uh, plastic. So so that's a big piece of it. And I would say also in Europe, the consumers uh, perhaps uh, are are less uh, are more willing to accept a package where they don't necessarily see all of the berries. And so in our U.S. markets, consumers will want to see all the berries and, and, and often you'll see consumers lifting up a clamshell, looking underneath it, looking at its side and so forth. In Europe, you don't tend to find that. People will uh, you know, grab a, an item and, and, and go. And so that lends itself to uh, paperboard packaging uh, when consumers aren't as demanding about seeing the product. And I noticed that there were um, a couple retailers who have also signed on to uh, to the the new plastic economy commitment. I saw Walmart and Ajo Delhaize on there. Um, uh, do you think that that some of those commitments hopefully will help in terms of supporting, like you said, the investments that are required to kind of move the chains on this a little bit? Yes, for sure. the The large retailers that are part of the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, you mentioned a couple of them, they can exert um, huge uh, uh, positive pressure mm-hmm. <laughs> across the entire value stream. And I think what we will find is that these large retailers will become increasingly more vocal to, to the companies that supply them products to do it in a way that's sustainable. So I think there will there will be uh, some positive pressure from our uh, retail partners uh, to move in this direction. And how does that? I, I'm guessing that's a little bit of a process. Then, as you know, as the as the demands come from maybe some of those big global retailers, but obviously as a supplier, whether it's you guys or, or another company you supply a whole range of different customers. So some of them may not be ready for the paperboard or, you know, to, to pay a little bit more for, for the more sustainable packaging or things like that. Is, is it sort of a, a transition period right, right now or in the coming years where eventually probably everyone will just switch to, you know, these more sustainable options and that's what everybody will take. Cause that's what will be available. Or how do you see kind of the big transition, you know, going in the next five, 10 years? I, I think, um, I do think we will reach a tipping point and we're, we, we aren't there yet. However, it is, it, it's fast approaching and you're right that, that some retailers are more forward thinking than others in this regards. At the end of the day, um, our job is to deliver the freshest, uh, uh, highest quality, most flavorful berries uh, to the market. And if, if we stay true to that purpose, then it, it almost doesn't matter what type of packaging uh, we deliver the product in and our retail partners um, uh, will, will accommodate um, the direction we go with sustainable packaging. So, but you're absolutely right that that uh, we are in a, a hybrid kind of mixed mode for the next 
couple of years and it'll accelerate. And I think you can look at changes in other industries uh, and other environments uh, as examples, whether it's the, the shift from the internal combustion engine to electric vehicles. You know, I think five years ago, many of us uh, may have may have thought that the the adoption of electric vehicles was was much further down the road. Today, you're seeing large players who are declaring that they are going to be shifting their product line 100% to electric vehicles and exiting uh, the internal combustion engine uh, vehicle market. Um, and that is, I know, a, a very different uh, market. However, I think we can learn from those kinds of scenarios and, and reflect on those that the tipping point is coming in, in our market and, um, and, and we need to be ready for that. And we've talked about a few different kind of stakeholder groups that will be part of this process, whether it's, you know, retailers, um, the, the recycling infrastructure in different municipalities. What are some other, um, what are some other stakeholder groups that are gonna be important in this process? Well, we have not talked about the suppliers and uh, uh, of these various materials. So we, uh, we work with about a half a dozen major suppliers. <clears throat> I won't uh, list off all of their names. Um, they're well known in the packaging materials space. They play a crucial role in this because they have the R&D capabilities and the material science capabilities to advance the state of the art in packaging material. And we lean on them heavily for that. We have no desire to become material scientists or packaging material experts. Uh, we need to know enough about it to engage suppliers and work with them. So. They, they are a crucial uh, uh, stakeholder. I think another, uh, another uh, key stakeholder is, uh, and we touched on it briefly, uh, it, uh, these are the um, uh, material recycling facilities um, that end up separating these materials and uh, essentially making this uh, recycled material um, available. Uh, I'm talking here now about plastic. Um, so used clamshells coming back in to new clamshells. So we, while we want to transition into non-plastic material, we also recognize that in the near to midterm, there's a significant opportunity in, in uh, reducing the amount of virgin plastic in our clamshells. And so one of the key stakeholders are the material recovery facilities. And, and then the companies that buy the bailed uh, thermoform plastic from the uh, so-called MRFs, material reco recovery facilities, those companies then need to process uh, and flake all this material and clean it and then make it available to the thermoformers. So you're right, there are multiple stakeholders in this value stream. And how do you go about when you mentioned the, the folks who are manufacturing the, the packaging itself, basically, 
what does it look like for, what does that dialogue look like between you all and those partners to say, this is where we're looking to move. And because I'm guessing maybe that necessitates some big, you know, equipment investments or, or different things for, for those partners also, you know, how do you, how do you guys give, give them the confidence to make that investment? You know, how, how does everybody get moving in the same direction on that? So I, I, I think it's important to note that today, um, approximately 60 to 70% of the plastic content in our clamshells that carry our berries, 60 to 70% of that plastic is non-virgin material. It is recycled content. However, most of that today, the large majority is plastic bottle uh, material. And uh, the bottle industry wants to do what we want to do. They want to drive a higher and higher percent of post-consumer content into their beverage bottles. So what's happening uh, is the material that's available uh, to us is, is, um, uh, is being uh, consumed by the beverage industry. Oh. And so uh, the, the recycled material is actually becoming scarcer and scarcer. And so what we need to do is we need to drive more of the clamshells back into the recycling flow. And that's uh, uh, the things that I, I mentioned earlier about incentivizing material recovery facilities to segregate the clamshells. So what those conversations um, look like is we, we uh, are requiring our suppliers contractually to increase the amount of what's called thermoform clean wash flake. And that is clamshells that come back into uh, uh, used clamshells that come back into to the creation of new clamshells. Today, we're at about 10%. So 10% of the content of our clamshell is uh, used clamshells that were cleaned and, and processed. And we have a roadmap with our suppliers to increase that to 25 to 30% over the next five years which is an ambitious, but we think achievable target. So we're using economic levers and contractual levers to require our suppliers to, to create a market and to pull, to have a pull effect for those clamshell materials. Mm. That is fascinating, fascinating stuff. I mean, Shandor, I'm sure I could ask you about a million more questions on this, and I still would have uh, have much, much, much to learn, but we should probably wrap it up here. I want to be respectful of your time, but anything that we're not hitting on that you think is really important to address or anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? No, I think we've covered a lot of ground, and I really appreciate the opportunity to, to share what we're doing, and we look forward to to uh, communicating more about our work in this important area. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you again, Shandor. I so appreciate it. Thank you to everyone for listening and we'll see everybody next time on the Tip of the Iceberg podcast.